Hello and welcome to our podcast Coping with the Next Chapter. We are your hosts, Justine T. And Justine D. To begin, let's present ourselves. We are final year nursing students at McGill University and more recently podcast host. We have developed this project in partnership with OpenCope, an organization that strives to help individuals at all age cope with cancer by providing resources, activities and support. Our goal with this podcast is to create a space for sharing experiences related to coping with cancer. First, a disclaimer. Please note that this is a student project. Although we strive to ensure the products are accurate, ethical, and credible, by using the products, the user is responsible for possible errors, omissions, and outcomes that can be present inadvertently. On today's episode, we will be inviting Elaine and Stephanie Glicksman, a duo of cancer patients and caregivers, to talk about their experience with cancer. Welcome, Elaine and Stephanie, to the podcast. Can you start by telling us a little bit about yourselves? My name is Elaine Glicksman. I'm 68 years old, and I'm a cancer patient. My first diagnosis with cancer was in uh, 12 years ago, and I was first diagnosed with uh, breast cancer in one breast, and I had a lumpectomy, went through the chemo, radiation, and then on tamoxifen for six years. And six years later, the cancer came back metastatic in my bones. And uh, it slowly went from one uh, bone in the spine to the next, to the next, to my jaw, to right now I pretty much have it all in the spine, the sacrum, my jaw, my hip. And um, this is what I've been fighting for the last five years. Hi, my name is Stephanie Glicksman, and I'm a cancer survivor. Um, at the age of 31, I was diagnosed with breast cancer in one breast, and I had a uh, and I was tested uh, BRCA positive. So I had a double mastectomy, um, chemo, radiation, and oophorectomy. And then I went on to moxifen, which I am still on today, and we're about nine years later. I discovered um, that I had that I had breast cancer was um, I was actually I was 31 years old. I was about um, five weeks away from getting married, and just one morning I rolled over in bed and I kind of felt a little something uncomfortable in my left breast, and I felt for it, and I could very clearly feel. Uh, it felt like a marble inside my breast. And since my mother had had cancer just a few years before me, I knew that this could possibly be something or I just wanted to get a second opinion. Um, I showed it to my then fiance who said he also felt it. And, to, and then I showed it to my mother who said she felt something and coincidentally was going to, the, to visit her surgeon uh, that day for a regular follow-up appointment. So I tagged along with her. And, um, and we asked the surgeon, would you be able to see, to see me that day? So he, uh, registered me and took a look and right away said I would need an ultrasound. I think the next day I had the ultrasound, um, while in the ultrasound, the technician, um, sort of went over it and I said, is it a cyst? And she said, no, I don't think it's a cyst. I'm going to bring the doctor in 
when the doctor came in, I kind of told him um, that I was getting married in a few weeks and a destination wedding and could we speed things up? And so um, he got me in very quickly for a biopsy, um, which I think I did the next day. Um, and then finally we got the results a few days later, uh, at which point I had gotten a phone call from the radiologist who did the biopsy, who confirmed that there was a malignancy. As he said it, I didn't really, I don't know if I really calculated what that really meant. At the time, I was really just concerned for the timeline to make sure that my wedding would be happening on time. Um, so then we went back to the doctor, sort of made a game plan for you know, what I would be doing. I did the bracket testing. Um, so that I could make a more informed decision as to whether or not to have a lumpectomy or a mastectomy. And then the other thing that I was considering at the time that was on my mind was really that I knew that after my wedding, I was planning to start my family to get pregnant. And I knew that if I was going to be on a hormone uh, medication that I wouldn't be able to get pregnant. So my next step after seeing the oncologist was to find a fertility specialist to find out about um, making and freezing embryos. So those first few weeks were very busy um, and somehow we managed to book surgery, um, fertility appointments, ultrasounds, all of that and everything was kind of figured out. We were able to put things on hold for the wedding which actually took place in Las Vegas. We had over 100 people, family and friends, a whole wedding weekend. And during that weekend, there was no talk about cancer and it was never even mentioned. I'm not even sure who knew and who didn't know. And it was really wonderful. And then we came back, no honeymoon. Um, and I think less than two weeks later, I had my mastectomy. And then following that, I did fertility treatments. And following that, I started chemotherapy. And following that, I found a surrogate um, who would be able to, who we would be able to implant our embryos once I finished chemotherapy. So it was a lot all at once. Do you feel like being so busy with your wedding and everything made it easier for you to cope with sort of the diagnosis? Did you feel like you were busy in your mind and so that you 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 just it was easier for you to cope I guess yes exactly I feel like um having the wedding coming up and then focusing on um embryos and surrogacy it kind of gave me goals and goalposts to reach so that's what I was constantly thinking about there was always something good coming so even though in the moment I may have not been feeling well or been in pain even there was always something good coming and the other thing that I think helped me even more was having just been through it with my mom. So I knew everything that was coming. Had I been a 31 year old with zero experience in the past, I wouldn't have really understood um, what was to come. But we had the same sort of treatment plan of um, surgery and then chemotherapy and then radiation. So I had been in the, on the chemo floor before. Um, I had been on the oncology floor before, so it was all very familiar to me. And I think that made a big, big difference in that I knew what, what was to come. Um, same thing with the process of uh, the hair loss. I knew what that would look like. Um, 
I kind of had, I had that, and I think that was a big, big bonus, kind of a weird bonus, but that was a bonus in my journey, um, being able to have that and being able to have my mother right there with me, helping me. How did it feel to both go through this together as a mother-daughter duo during such a stressful time? Did you find it was easier to cope? Well, like as Stephanie was saying, I was basically in remission. Like my hair had just grown back and I was I was just doing follow-up appointments at this point, not thinking that I would be continuing on the journey. So um, somehow we never got really scared. We never got really depressed. We just, we, because I had just been through it, like very, just finishing everything. My last treatments were 2012, January, 2012. And then she was October 2013. So um, everything, like as Stephanie said, was very familiar. And we just had a lot of hope and, and positiveness. And I guess because, you know, I've been through it, I got through it. So she was going to go through it and, and everything will be fine. She also had her, her husband was extremely supportive. I mean, throughout the whole process, finding out, having a wedding, everything, he was very supportive. And so like she was really surrounded by a lot of support and knowing what's going on. Today, what I see is when I see newly diagnosed people and that are so lost that just they don't understand what's going on and they, they walk out of a doctor's office not really getting the full picture. That is something that I feel we have to work on in the, in the cancer field. We have to make sure that people, that people, that women that walk out of a doctor's office after their diagnosis understand more or less what's coming up when I first started, I had no idea what was coming up. I, right away, I got my diagnosis. And right away, the first thing was, I got to get in as soon as possible. I got to see a doctor. I got to get this out of me. I got to have my surgery because it's, it's all fresh. It's all like scary at that point. And so it's all like, got to get this done. When in reality, it's not really like that. Like, we don't have to go into that panic mode, but try to tell somebody who just got that diagnosis not to go into a panic mode. And um, it would be helpful to be able, like sometimes if you can't reach a doctor for another two weeks, you've got this diagnosis and you're not seeing anybody for two weeks. Those are the longest two weeks in your life. Like, you know, so that is something that I, I was lucky. I, I did get in because I pushed and, and, uh, Somehow I got in, first of all, it's 12 years ago. Things were different then. It wasn't, the healthcare system was not as broken broken as it is now, exactly. So, um, so then by the time we got around to Stephanie, I had already done all the legwork. I had already learned how to navigate doctors, nurses, secretaries. So it, it was easier. It was a silver lining for us that I had gone through it before her. So, um, but there's a lot to be done for that. I, I feel like through my journey, I learned so much and there's so much to share with people. 
in that field. What would be your biggest piece of advice for a newly diagnosed patient or a patient who recently received the bad news concerning their diagnosis? All right, well, we've been in both those situations. So I'd say somebody who's newly diagnosed to take it day by day, to take it step by step, to not, exactly like you said, not to panic, um, just to breathe and take it step by step. Try to find like one or two people in your circle that you're going to trust and and speak to them, reach out to them. It's, it, get, it can get loud and confusing when, when there's too many voices and too many opinions. Um, so if you can find one or two people that you just go to, um, that's really helpful. And then when you get bad news or like if it's not the news you expected, um, how did you say? Um. I agree. Uh, don't discuss it too much with too many people because too many people are going to tell you, well, I know somebody that had it and this is what they did. And I know somebody that, you know, you have to really choose who you speak to. You have to find the right person. And if you can reach out to a support group where you can have somebody call you that's more um, experienced in how to speak to you, that would be a, a great thing. Because otherwise you can you can make yourself crazy. You really can. So you, you do have to discuss it, but it has to be with the right person. And as we've seen, sort of, we've understood um, talking to Hope and co-participants and cancer patients, they often feel like when they talk about their diagnosis, they're burdening their family. They, they feel um, like they've become their diagnosis. They've become the... the the like image of cancer and that's all their family can see and that's all they can talk about and they feel like they're burdening them when they're complaining um what would what would you say do you feel like there's a, some sort of outlet that they should turn to like I know Elaine you started painting and you turned to Hope and Cope I don't know Stephanie if, if you had the, a similar outlet uh, I did actually. I I I did Pilates. That was my outlet, <coughs> and I think that helped me tremendously because it was just. Uh, first of all, for me, I think one of my my biggest issues was when I was doing chemo. That drain of energy, which I never like. I was I was fairly young, and I had never felt so out of control of my body. Like just not every single day not having energy and it really frustrated me and um and scared and that kind of scared me and the pilates kind of it just it brought back a little bit of energy and kept me moving and that was my outlet um but i don't know yeah. if i really answered the question and, um as far as feeling like a burden i guess that eventually we have our moments like that yeah. and of course we feel like a burden we uh um always having to depend on somebody unless, okay. So my situation was that, um, I lived alone. I was alone. I was in a 13 year relationship. And, uh, when I was first diagnosed, I was with the person and, um, he kind of supported me, but not really. Uh, I kind of always tried to make it easy for him 
and try to not be exactly that, a burden, trying to still cook, trying to still, even though I was like exhausted and going through a hard time, I was more worried about making him feel good. When I got my second, when I became metastatic, the relationship turned and uh, he became very impatient and I think I could tell he did not want to have to take care of somebody. The relationship ended. So uh, for me, the, the hardest part was when I became metastatic because before that, the journey was just the regular journey, I guess, with what you want to say, but it was more like it just was all a learning experience and, and the journey ended and I was good for five years. But in those five years, you're not really good the radiation and everything takes a toll on you. You're always tired. And even that at that time was like a burden. Like I couldn't do the things I used to do. So when I became metastatic and then I was on my own. So that's when you're really feeling lost and like you're a burden because you're always waiting for somebody to go with you to the doctor, to go with you for chemo, to go with you. Um, you could do it on your own. At some point, I was much better off than what I am today. Today, I'm not very mobile. And um, yes, you, 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 you do feel like a burden. But like I've been trying to explain to people, accept, be, be open to receive help and not think that you're a burden. When you decide that you're open to receive help, and not all the time say, oh, I'm such a burden. Oh, I'm sorry to ask. Oh, stop apologizing. Be open to receive. And at the same time, think of it as that you're giving somebody a gift that they could help you. And that's how I kind of uh, put it in my mind. But I do have my, my days and times when I feel like I can't do anything on my own anymore. I can't. I have to depend on people. And you get very down on that. Um, but I, I do my best to try to keep busy with other things and talking to other people and mentoring, and that helps me. What would you say was the hardest component about being a caregiver? Like, being a cancer patient for sure is what it is. Like, it's extremely difficult in terms of energy. Um, and you've talked about the caregiver that you sort of had that didn't want to be one. But when you're put in a situation where it's your family and it's your mom and it's your daughter, you kind of don't have a choice but to be one. So what was the hardest part? I guess there's the day-to-day, -day, obviously. Like, the, you know, the, the reality of it, going to appointments and being available to that person, um, the responsibility of it. That's not that's not easy. So there's the day to day, but overall, it's that ultimately you can do all those things, but you can't you can't take the pain away. Yeah, for me, it was seeing my little girl go through this. The funny thing is that our cancers are not at all related, because I'm not BRCA and she's BRCA, and she really um, inherited that from her dad. And that was a hard thing for him to accept. And 
it's it was just like a real coincidence, a real coincidence <laughs> that uh, that we both got cancer. Like, I mean, who would ever think? You know, it was absolutely not related. So for me, also, I I lived up north at the time, and I could I seriously think I could have been here more for Steffi when she was going through it. I tried to come to her. I went to all your appointments, yeah, to your chemo appointments, yeah. Her husband was very good. I actually, for his birthday, bought him a nurse's uniform and had his name <laughs> stitched on it. And uh, and he was very happy with that. <laughs> um, it's, it's hard being a caregiver. And we weren't even such heavily because we didn't live together. So it's not the same as somebody who's a caregiver that lives with the person. And also depending on what stage the person's at and what. You know, going to appointments, and, and plus we were both very strong people. So, but like today, in my situation today, how I am, I feel um, I've, I've hired some, I have some outdoor extra help and stuff because Stephanie's now dealing with a family and a full-time job now. She didn't have all that before. And uh, yes, I don't want to be a burden to her or my son who lives in New York, but he could come in once every month to see me, and I'm very blessed to have two children that are, you know, so close to me and so helpful. But I know that sometimes, you know, like Stephanie comes home from work and she's exhausted, and she's also exhausted because she's still on tamoxifen. So she's also, and tell your your experience, like she went through menopause at 32 years old, right? Oh, I guess so. Yeah. yeah, and so she had to deal with that at a young age and uh, now has osteoporosis at her young age. So, well, for me... She's feeling all my secrets. <laughs> well, for me, because I see sometimes, you know, you still struggle and I'm scared for you. And so these are the extra things that we worry about each other. I worry as a mother... She worries as a daughter. We both just want each other to be terrific and run around. And I worry that I'm not the grandmother that I always thought I'd be with my grandson, my our little miracle six-year-old grandson that was born through surrogacy. I just, I can't run and play with him like I thought I would. But I try. I try. I mean, we were playing outside one day and we were doing races and I was like trying to walk as fast as I could. And he said, he says to me, no, Nana, it's like this. I put the stick here. You have to jump over the stick, and then you run. And I, I said, okay, I'll, I'll do my best, Ty, but I'm not sure if I can do it, but I'll do my best. And inside, I felt like that would be nothing for me. I was a very, you know, uh, active person before. So all these things go through your head. Um, I could offer also from the other side of things. I know... That when I was sick, and for my husband, who was the primary caregiver, one thing that helped him was he had a friend um, from university who he reconnected with because his wife had had cancer a few years before. And he would stay on the phone with this guy for hours, and they would compare notes, and he would tell him, oh, he would call him on my chemo days usually and tell him how it went, and then they would talk about different things, and um, and... I realized that he was on, he had his own journey too. And that 
thank God he had this friend because they really, he really, really helped him. So I think it's also important for the caregiver um, to have somebody that they could reach out to that's not the patient, that's not the family member, that they can talk to about it. Um, I think that's an important aspect for caregivers to to know and to to realize that yes, it's about the person who has cancer, but it's the caregiver also needs to find support for themselves, and um, that's an important tip. What are some specific things that your caregiver did that helped you the most? What do you think a cancer patient requires the most in a caregiver? I think it's some of the messy stuff. The I remember after my surgery, I think it was something, I think maybe it was you showered me or something like that. And that was weird. And my husband, after my surgery, I didn't want to see my bandages. And I didn't, I used to, I used to wear a blindfold when, because you have these drains hanging from you and I couldn't stand the look of them. So I would wear a blindfold and my husband would change the drains. So that was like huge. Um, he shaved my head. Um, so those things where the other person just has to kind of do it, he did it all without blinking. Like without, oh, I don't know if I want to do that. I don't know if I could do that. It's kind of gross. We just married, you know, um, but he didn't make me feel bad for it. He made it seem like I was just normal and he just did it. I think that's huge. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Having, uh, for me, a lot of it is moral support because I was home alone. So I, I would want to be able to call and, and complain because, you know, uh, complaining like in the way like listening, having somebody listen and Stephanie also because of the field that she is, she's in, she's a counselor and um, she's very good at listening. And that's something that I really needed, not somebody to give me advice, but just somebody to listen and say, yeah, that sucks. Because you oh, that's talk not true. To, sometimes I give advice that you don't want. Sometimes you do, yeah. Sometimes you do, but but you know that I don't want it. So it's coming from you as my doc, daughter and caregiver. Right. Whereas when you're talking to a friend and you're telling a friend that this, and they go, well, I know somebody. Yeah, in a few days, you're so strong, you'll be better. You don't want to hear that. You want to hear, geez, I'm sorry you're going through that. That really sucks. And so uh, I guess friends aren't caregivers, but it's, it's all part of the journey. It's all part of the journey. What would you tell a recently diagnosed cancer patient that is feeling lonely? How could you merge your cancer life and your quote-unquote normal life, as you would describe it, Elaine? Yes, I was always trying to be not only in the cancer life. And that was early on in my journey because I still had energy and I still had, I could still go out on my own. I could, I still had more or less a life that I can do things on my own. I could go shopping on my own. I could still cook on my own. I could still do a lot of things on my own. So I was able to have my cancer life with my support groups and people that I would be supporting and then my regular life. But now I feel I'm really totally in the cancer world and it's hard to get out of it. And so I'm really, um, mostly, I do have my, my circle of friends has gotten much smaller and I do have my good friends that I see and go out with when they come over to take me out and whatever. But I'm basically, um, 
really involved in the cancer life now. And um, but what's your advice to somebody who doesn't have a caregiver? Somebody who doesn't have a caregiver is you've really got to find somebody that you can connect with because you can't just sit at home and keep everything in. You got to open yourself up to find an outlet. And you've got to be able to, you have to open yourself up also to receive. Thank you so much, Elaine and Stephanie Glixman, for sharing your experiences with us. We invite all listeners to go to the podcast forum on our podcast website to share your reflections to this week's episode ask us questions, and connect with other people from Hope and Cope community. We hope to see you there. Thank you for listening.